Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, everyone. We are so happy. We have two wonderful guests with us. We have Jessica Payne, an author whose incredible, spooky, scary book with all kinds of twists and turns is coming out very soon. And Kimberly Brower, her agent, who has sold so many books abroad. And we cannot wait to ask her how she did all of that, because that is not an easy thing to do. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. We're thrilled to have another agent and writer team here. Kimberly, how did you find Jessica? She originally queried me, although I didn't know that at the time. I liked what she put on Pit Dark, which was the same project she queried me for. And then she got an offer for representation and let me know, hey, I have an offer. I had queried you. And so that caused me to jump on and read her manuscript. and. Now we're here. My goodness. I realize I messed up the order. So let's go back to Jessica. <laughs> uh, so you ha- have an offer and you're participating in PitMad. And then how did this unfold for you? So yeah, I had started querying in fall of 2020, which was a really slow time for querying, as I'm sure everyone knows. <laughs> but I got an offer in January and notified all the agents. And I ended up getting three offers. But I knew within like minutes of getting on the phone with Kimberly that I was going to go with her. She was just fantastic to talk to and really had great vision for my book. And we had the same favorite authors, which was very cool. And she's just been wonderful to work with. And this book has become that much better working with her. You knew right away, like you heard her voice and you're like, yes, this is the one. Maybe three or four minutes in. (laughs) Well, you have a great voice, Kimberly, but it was a little more than that. I liked that she knew my genre well, and I felt like she knew what I was trying to do with my book better than I did. And she helped me zone in on that with the revisions she had in mind. I also liked how honest and to the point she was and that I felt like I really understood what revisions she wanted. And I totally understand that agents have to hold some of that back when they're offering. I get it. But with her, I felt like I really knew what we were going to be doing. And she was just easy to talk to. We had a great rapport. And I felt like when something came up, I would be able to go to her comfortably and not like be afraid to do that. So that was good. Yeah. Within five minutes, I was like, I found my agent. I found my agent. (laughs) And we talked about this later, but. From my perspective, I got off that call and was like, there's no way she's going to sign with me. There's just no way. Because I was very honest and I was like, I do think edits are needed. And here's all the edits. And when you're talking to an author that has multiple offers of representation, it's sometimes hard to come at an author and be like, I want to sign you. But these are the changes when you don't know what the other agents that have offered are saying. I've been in situations like this where the other agents have been like, it's great. Let's go on submission now. And I just wasn't there. There was a part of me that was like, oh, maybe I won't even offer. But then I was like, no, no, I need to talk to her and tell her. But I just felt like I need to throw my hat in the ring. If she says no, she says no. But at least I was very honest and I presented it because I just really saw something really special. But yeah, I did not think it was going to go my way at all. That's the amazing thing about it, because the thing you thought 
would take you out of the running is a thing that actually got you the client in the end. I know what she wanted. So that's amazing. Yeah, I just went with honesty. And it was just about something like, I love your voice. I don't want to change your voice. There's two narrators. And the voice is so unique. So I, right off the bat, I was like, I will not change your voice. That's just not going to happen. But these are the edits that are needed. And I was just really honest about it because I think at that point I was kind of like, I don't have anything to lose. So it's like, here you go. This is what I think. And I would really love to work with you. It's true. That's such a thing. You always worry that there's going to be some agent that's like, it's perfect. I'll send it now. I'll send it to 500 people in the next five minutes. And I don't know if authors know that trick. I am always worried going into a multiple offer situation that someone else has said exactly that. And then the author will say, oh, well, that's easier. They get my book. They understand my book. It's perfect. Yeah. I did have an offer that was like no revisions at all. I think they would have been great, but it actually worried me a little bit because I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm not that good. Not yet. Anyway. <laughs> And it's not about not being good. It's just the story. And I had a vision on how I would pitch the book. And I wanted to make sure my vision matched her vision and what she wanted. I was like, I know what needs to get done to facilitate that. So it was just a matter of, are we like talking the same language kind of thing? I'm glad you offered. So am I. (laughs) See, this is what we like to see. A happy author-agent relationship that is based on honesty from the beginning and an author who wants the edits instead of saying, if you think anything's wrong, you don't get it. Yeah. Can you tell us about your book? We have this wonderful little blurb here, but we'd love to hear it in your own words. Yes. And I've rehearsed this thing probably a hundred times. So my book is called Make Me Disappear. It is a thriller. It is about a Seattle nurse who's trapped in a relationship with her sociopathic, potentially deadly boyfriend who happens to be a physician. She will do anything to escape, including arranging for her own kidnapping, but nothing goes as planned. So she decides that the only way to escape him is to turn the tables and try to beat him at his own game. I love this. She's taking her power back. It's going into a thriller. This is all very exciting. We've got a character with power and agency and an unfortunately common situation that yeah. most people in that situation don't get to go on this adventure. So I, I like how you flip the power dynamics there. Thank you. Yeah, that was really important to me. I definitely recognize that in situations like that, you rarely can flip the dynamic and that's not always reality, but I really wanted to give my character the strength to be able to do that. It makes a fun ride throughout the book. So I hope people like it. Well, good for her. And it makes it so that it's a character you really want to stand up and cheer for, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love a writer that gives me some darkness. The protagonist is great. The other perspective is the boyfriend's perspective, but it's written in a very different way. And you get inside his head. And I'll be honest, I loved him. I love to hate him. It was <laughs> like my favorite. And I don't know why. I don't know what that says about me, but it's so dark. Do you like Joe Goldberg? Yes. <laughs> that is exactly the vibe you get from the boyfriend. That is definitely Joe Goldberg. No, I get it. Because he's warm and evil at the same time. Yeah, it's you can almost empathize with what he's doing, even though it's awful the whole time and objectively that he should not be doing it. But you can't help that not necessarily root for him, but love him, even though you should hate him. And it makes you question yourself a little, (laughs) Kimberly. Yeah, you love to hate him. And at the same time, because you're in his head, he's so sure of himself that you're like, well, it makes sense why he's thinking that. Even though morally it's wrong, In his head, you see the logic. 
It's very fascinating. Need to read this book ASAP. I'm told <laughs> I need it. I love a good like bad guy, anti-hero, morally great, just villain, period. She's very good at writing the anti-hero or the person you're supposed to not like, you end up liking. Thank you. I sometimes worry what that says about me and my inner thought processes. <laughs> no, not at all. But it is fun. There are so many wonderful thriller writers who are actually just the sweetest, loveliest people. So I'm getting ready to do my author photos. Like I have a, an author photo I'm using right now, but it's actually from a murder mystery party about five years ago. So I'm going to do real ones. And I was telling the photographer what I wanted. And I was looking at other people's photos, like in my genre. And I was like, everybody is smiling and they all look so nice. Is it bad that I want something that's like a little darker, a little more fun? I think it makes sense. And it's so interesting how they present female thriller writers. Some they specifically put in pink a lot. So you're not scared of them. Yeah. And smiling, always smiling. My friend Sarah, who I do the YouTube channel with, we did a, like a little advertisement for it. And she said, I love that neither one of us are smiling in our photo because so rarely do we see women not smiling up online. So I thought that was cool. I'm so curious about book talk. And tell us about the 15 second challenge. Okay. So I'm going to admit something to you guys. I am really bad at coming up with ideas for book talk. I am still very much a newbie. So I was like, what's something like, I want to be able to pitch my book. But I need a way to do that because you're not supposed to just try to sell yourself on TikTok. Like it's a no-no, like people don't like that. So I made it up. I was like, I'm going to make up a 15 second challenge where I try to just pitch my book in 15 seconds and tag someone. So I just did it. And I totally didn't. It was probably at least 20, but it was really fun to try. It created a lot of energy and it got a lot of likes and views and people seem to like it. I don't know if anybody else actually did it. I think it's really interesting. We talk about platform and we talk about how platform helps and how just by creating something online that's short and sweet, but has movement can be really interesting. Kimberly, were you interested in Jessica's social media presence? Was that part of your decision-making process? Not at all. I'm I know I'm not probably writers everywhere. <laughs> I'm probably not supposed to this. Okay. I'll be honest. So for me, it's always about the book. What I do now, though, is once I like the manuscript and I'm like, oh, I want to offer on this, I do look on social media just because now we have to be wary of people out there and that have checkered pasts, so to speak. But when it came to Jessica at that point, I don't think I even looked. I know I'm not supposed to say that. We're not supposed to say that's probably wrong. <laughs> well, I'm but, glad you said it. But you, but it's the truth. I, I don't, it, for me, social media and platform, while I know it's very important, for me, it's about the book. My job is not to sell a personality. My job is to sell a book. So if the book is great, if like I would never not sign someone if I love the book, but they didn't have a platform. I've heard agents recently have said, oh, you need some kind of presence on one of the social media sites. I personally, that doesn't work for me because as someone that is very anti-social media, I hate selfies. So I would never hold that against somebody. I hate to tell you, we will be sharing this on social media. It's okay. <laughs> I just won't see it. I just won't see it. That's okay. No, it's fine. It's fine. Writers everywhere are going to be like, wait a minute, what does her name begin? Where, where, what agency is she? How do we find her information? Because she's not looking at social media. I don't have to have 17,000 followers. No. 
Does it look, I'm going to be honest. Does it help? Yeah. It's not so much that it helps me sell their book. It's more of once the book is sold, it's that many more people that you can talk about your book to. So it's more looking beyond selling the book to a publisher. Well, I think a you lot know, of writers out there will be very happy to hear this, but especially for fiction, I think that makes sense. I think it makes sense that you spend your time selling books all over the world instead of posting selfies. Can you talk a little bit about how that works for the authors in the audience? Yeah, so I, what is this, 2022? About five years ago, I brought foreign rights internally in the agency. We had previously worked with a co-agent who sold our rights, but in the years prior, I had gone to the book fairs, I had met our foreign publishing partners, I've met co-agents, and I had a really good repertoire with them. And I just felt that I knew my author's books in a way that was better than someone that works with many agencies. And that's not to knock people that represent others. There's only so many agents in the world that can do this. But I felt comfortable enough. And so I just utilized my connections and just meeting new people. And now I have co-agents in certain territories, other territories. We work directly with publishers like in the bigger territories like Germany and France and Spain. And we have just present our catalogs. We have meetings with them twice a year. We're constantly on email with them. We send newsletters to them. So they always know what new titles our authors are coming up with, sometimes far in advance, like they know about Jessica's book and it's not even coming out until May. So it's just something that I think is really a, a revenue stream as well for authors, especially authors with a traditional publisher. If you get an advance, for example, and you're able to keep your foreign rights, you might not see any money for X amount of time, but if you keep the farm rights and your agent is able to sell that, that's revenue you're able to generate that goes directly into your pocket. It doesn't go through the publisher. And personally, I think sub rights is uh, very important, almost as important as your uh, domestic publishing rights. Jessica, is this all stuff you understood going on or you're just like, she's super impressive? I definitely tried to like be aware of how publishers marketplace works and have an idea of how subrights work and everything. But one of the nice things about having an excellent agent is that she can worry about all that and I can just write my books. So on that writing note, tell us about your editing process. My editing process, I edit as I write. I know a lot of writers don't do that. They like to just write all at once. And I definitely wrote my first couple of books that way. But for me, it's really helpful to go back and read what I have written about every 20,000 words. It helps me make sure I'm like on the right trajectory. So while I'm writing, I'm also revising like that. I also have a critique partner and we exchange every day or two and give each other feedback as we're writing, making sure that things make sense, that we don't have any subplots that are just like way out there. And that has really helped me just stay on the storyline I want to be on better. We also tell each other all of our plot twists along the way. So that we can just keep each other in check and make sure things make sense. My critique partner knows what the end is going to look like or what the 75% point is going to look like. So she can tell me if I'm being too obvious earlier in the book. And that's just been really helpful for us to do that for each other. Once the book is done, I typically do a quick one through and fix all the things I already know are issues. I just keep a list of things that I'm like, oh, I need to fix this. And then I set it aside for at least a couple of weeks. I revise again all by myself. And then I have three really close critique partners who are very familiar with my writing and we all revise together. 
And then once I've done that, I send it to Kimberly and she usually has some really great notes for me. It sounds like a dream team. Sounds like you have the dream team. Oh, thank you. Yeah. How did you find this group of amazing writers that you surround yourself with? It takes time. So anyone listening to this who thinks like, oh, that sounds great. I wish I had that. Just keep working on it. Keep meeting people. Keep exchanging chapters with people. One person is actually someone I used to work with. And we didn't even know we were both writers at the time. So it's funny that we ended up connecting that way. And then the other two I met on Twitter, of all places. One is a Moms Writers Club member, that's Sarah. And we just got to talking and exchanging chapters. And she is such a good writer. It's great to read her stuff. And she feels the same way about mine. And it's really wonderful to have a critique partner whose books you actually like, even if they weren't your critique partner, you'd still buy them. That's a really good thing because then you eagerly await when they send you more chapters. And then my other critique partner is Jamie Lynn Hendricks and she and I met on Twitter and we have different strengths and weaknesses. So we play off of each other really well. Can I ask a question just because this is the first time I've seen the process or heard mm-hmm. the process. When you're reading other people's work, do you ever find yourself like going, that's something that I was going to do in my book, but I can't do that now? It hasn't really happened yet. Jamie and I write very different types of thrillers. We have a very different style, even though we're in the same genre. With Sarah, her writing is a little bit more literary. I do think sometimes that reading her work makes me think more about the quality of my writing, but I don't know. I I don't think so, but I also always am like reading other books too. So you never quite know where all of that comes in. I will say if I were to ever write a quirky character, I would definitely read books with quirky characters in them because I feel like you kind of absorb that voice just for an example. So I think that those things can influence it, but I hope nothing's influencing me too much. I don't think it is. Can you talk about why nurses make great thriller writers? I think the nurses make good thriller authors because we just see stuff that is behind the scenes. And that is so much what suspense and thrillers are about. They're about the plot behind the plot, the things that you don't know are going on in someone's life. And we all have those things. Every family has its secrets, the things hidden in a closet. So much of that is what creates that twisty, creepy feeling of a thriller. So being a nurse, we see all kinds of personalities and we have to put up with them. You can't fire your patient, even if they're hard to deal with. You can't fire the doctor you work with, even if maybe they're not the nicest person to work with. I would never write about anyone or violate their privacy or anything. So I don't mean that when I say this, but you get like a lot of ideas working at a hospital and seeing the darker sides of people. I think it's so interesting just listening to you speak right now, Jessica, how you must be an amazing easy client. Kimberly, I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, wow, when you have someone that their whole profession is being kind and courteous, bedside manner and all of that, is there a difference that you see in someone like Jessica that actually does this day to day? I think Jessica's just a nice person, period. And I don't think it's just because she's a nurse. So I work with a lot of different personalities, a lot. And authors are very different. They're on a total spectrum. I don't want to say it's easier to work with someone that is used to having a bedside matter, but it's 
definitely easier to work with people that are professional. Yes, we're friendly and we talk about and we gossip, we talk about things, but this is like a professional relationship. So it's always nice to work with authors that treat this in a professional way. And Jessica doesn't work for me. We are partners in this. So it's very nice when the authors recognize that and maintain that level of professionality and know that if I make a suggestion or a constructive criticism, it's not me being judgmental or telling them they're wrong or telling them they're not good enough or anything like that. It's just more of our goals are the same. So everything I do is to reach that goal with them. Jessica, how did you get the idea for Make Me Disappear? So Make Me Disappear came from a couple of different places in my life. The main thing for me was I knew who my main character was. Her name is Noelle. And I knew that she was in a bad relationship and that she needed to escape it. But I didn't know how she was going to escape it. And it came to me that she's in a relationship with this bad guy who knows things and will retaliate if she leaves him. So I was like, well, how could she get away then? I was like, oh my gosh, what if she's kidnapped? He can't get mad if she's kidnapped. It's not like she like voluntarily left him. So I, then I went about trying to figure out how you would get yourself kidnapped. And I was really worried I was going to have to try to figure out how to access the dark web, which I have no clue how to do and have no interest in doing. And then I decided to just Google it. And you can have yourself kidnapped. It's called extreme kidnapping. It's like an extreme sport, like an escape room, except you can have yourself kidnapped. So I decided that she would arrange to have herself kidnapped in this way. So that kind of got things moving so far as the plot. You can pay them to like hold you over the edge of the building like they do in movies and stuff. Yeah. So anyway, but I wanted to write a book about a woman who was escaping a bad relationship. And then I also wanted to write a book that brought in some of the things I have experienced in the healthcare system. 99.9% of the people you meet who work in healthcare are wonderful people. But like in any career, there are always those different personalities. And I have met quite a few of them working in the hospital. So I really wanted Daniel, the male protagonist slash antagonist, to bring in some one of those like negative elements of what can transpire in the hospital. So a culmination of all of those ideas fed into me writing this book. Oh, and I will add, I wanted to have a character like you guys mentioned earlier, like Joe Goldberg or Dexter, where like you love to hate them. I have not watched Dexter yet. It is on my list. I don't know how I've managed to go this long without watching it. You need to do it. And I'm a little envious that you get to start from the beginning. You guys kept bringing up, I'm like, who's Joe Goldberg? I was like, I should know this. All of a sudden, it's the guy from you, right? Yeah. Like, yeah the yeah. Gossip Girl guy turns. Oh. He was in Gossip Girl? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm just curious, with all of this plotting, mm-hmm. are you a pantser or a plotter? What would you guess? I think you're a pantser that does loose plot. Plants. I am. Yeah, planter. Yeah, I'm a total planter who is becoming a planter. Thank you to my yep. wonderful agent for that. Yeah, I'm a total planter. And I now try to figure out like a few points in my book. So I have a vague idea and make sure that the whole plot is in fact going to come together by the end. And I think I've gotten a lot better at that. And it's so much fun because not knowing what's going to happen, as long as it's not too far out there, anything can happen. So do you know your endings? I try to. I don't always know like the concrete ending, but I usually have a vague idea of what's going to happen. And it always changes, but that's okay. 
Yeah, I think there's magic in that. I think there's mm -hmm. magic in saying, I'm going to explore the dark edges of this character and I'm going to see yeah. what happens when I drop them into this room with a scalpel and <laughs> a dead body or whatever it is. I like the way you think. Yeah, just like that. What would you say is the biggest change to your life now that you're an agent and soon to be debut author? Other authors might disagree with me on this. I actually feel like I have more room to breathe, a little more time and space. Before I signed with Kimberly, my goal was to finish the next book, revise it, and have it ready to go and query as fast as I could while maintaining quality. So I was writing like two and a half books a year, basically, to do that. And now I can only publish so fast. My current writing schedule has actually slowed down from what I was doing. And that's been a big change. It means I have a little more time for the other things in life. I primarily write when my daughter is asleep. So it just means I have some time when my daughter is asleep that I can do things besides writing, which now has become more like marketing and publicity type stuff for my book. But I enjoy that too. So that's okay. But that would be the biggest change. I also am focused more on improving the quality of my writing beyond just like getting agented. So how do you find that balance between everything? Are you still a nurse? I'm not working as a nurse right now. I call myself a full-time author and stay-at-home mom. I finished my graduate degree to be a nurse practitioner in May of 2020, but we also moved cross-country then and COVID had just hit. So getting a job right then was just not an option. My husband was working 80 hours a week and I was with my daughter and not prepared to put her in daycare with COVID at the time. Shortly after is when I signed with Kimberly and just decided to really focus on writing. So that is part of it. My daughter is very busy. She's three and a half. So I do spend a lot of time with her. And as far as finding balance, the best thing I ever did was like create a writing schedule. And I'm not usually a person that likes to schedule my life out, but my self-assigned writing time is at 5 a.m. before she's awake and then during her nap. And my responsibility during that time is only to be writing. And I think sometimes busy moms, we feel like there are so many things we have to do and we put ourselves and our writing last. And then we feel guilty when we write. So my advice is to schedule your writing time and you don't get to do anything else. You don't get to do laundry or clean up the house or any of that. That is when you need to be writing. That's your responsibility to yourself. I, I hate to say treat it like a job. I know some people don't like calling writing a job. But it is work. It's creative work and it's important too. I personally loved hearing that part of this story. There are silver linings in this pandemic. And part of it is really staying put and doing your work, your creative life. But it sounds like you really flex that muscle. If at one o'clock every day, you're going to have from the moment she goes to sleep into the moment that she wakes up and that's the time. That is a really interesting fire in your brain, I'm sure, is just ready to go. And I'm sure there's other times where you are processing the story and just writing notes because your brain does work when you're at the park. Your brain does work absolutely squash soup or whatever. <laughs> absolutely. I do a lot of my brainstorming when I am out with my daughter. We run, by which I push her in a running stroller for the most part, although she is now demanding to run with me, which is fun. If you have an iPhone, you can say, hey Siri, and it will record a note for you. I do so much of my planning for my books and brainstorming and random ideas, just doing that or when I'm doing other stuff with my daughter. 
I feel super called out by that. And also, <laughs> you lit a little bit of a fire underneath me. Because you're right. As moms, we find 8 million other things that we need to do. I'm like, okay, I want to write, but I can see at the corner of my eye the dishes. I can see the laundry yeah. behind me. My son's room is horrible. And I'm like, is something growing in there right now? Close the door to his room. You don't have to look at it. And in 10 years, will you be more proud of a house that was clean 10 years ago or a book you've finished? But it's hard. But there's always something else to do. You just have to make time for your writing. Prioritize it. Oh, that's so true. Are you listening, writers? Because I just... <laughs> Kimberly, is this something you talk about with your clients? Time management? No, only because everyone's life is so different. Some people have children, depending on how old their children are, the activities. Some people are empty nesters. I just more listen when they need to vent about it or when they are on a deadline. But it's really interesting to talk to different authors and hear about how long it takes each different author to write a book. I was talking to another author of mine yesterday and she told me it takes her about six to eight months. And I was like, that's amazing. But then there's Jessica who like in five weeks will give me a book. But it's really just interesting to hear and just to see how the process is for everybody because everyone's life is so different. I don't really tell them what they should or shouldn't do. It's more they are like, this is my writing schedule. It takes me this long to write a book based on my circumstances. And that actually comes into play when working on when we get signed a deal and figuring out what the delivery schedule is, what the publication schedule is, what the cadence is going to be. And I really try to factor that in to give my authors as much time as they need, not only for them to write their book and have it and not feel overwhelmed, but also build in some time for like life events because we can't predict what's going to happen in six, eight, nine months. And then also time for me to read it as well. That's when we talk about time management when it comes to scheduling. It's really interesting. Before I came on this podcast, I was just looking at social media and Jessica, you remind me so much of a former critique partner I have that would just crank out books, just crank them out. I saw his number one on Kindle's new releases right now. And I think writing begets writing begets writing. And when you are someone that can build a fan following by just pumping out books, it's a great way to create a career. So I'm super excited for you. What's your number one tip for the writers out there? Oh gosh, my number one tip. I would say do that thing you have been afraid of doing. I was so scared to try dual point of view and to write this male character in my book, but it's such a defining part of it. I think that you will rise to whatever that challenge is. So do the thing that you're afraid of in your writing life, in your real life, whatever. Be willing to take a risk, put yourself out there, make a new writing friend. They might turn into a lifelong friend and critique partner. Just don't be afraid. You can do it. And Kimberly, same question. Write the book and finish it. I've met a lot of authors at conferences or things like that. And they're like, I've been working on this for 10 years or something like that, which is so admirable. But I think what people, especially when they're new, when they're starting out is they get so focused on like word choices or this, and then they go back and rewrite it so many times. And I think writing a little bit every day, even if it's just to get the juice is going doesn't mean that it won't be edited. I think that's really important. But I think if you continually always go backwards, you'll never finish. So I think always try to push through and write each day and keep the goal of trying to like finish your first book. So now that we've established you as super successful, can you tell us and the writers out there what happened with books one through three? <laughs> yes, I can. I was actually thinking about 
this with what Kimberly just said. Sometimes the best thing to do is, we'll finish that book, but sometimes the best thing to do is to write the next book. And that is what I did with those books. So my first three books did not give me an agent. They will never be published. I can assure you that I will not let them be published because writing takes time and experience to learn how to do. And that is okay. And it is normal. They were books that were all about me learning to be the writer I wanted to be. And I feel like book four, which is Make Me Disappear, is the first one that like really was good enough to be publishable. It's about continuously, you know, getting better and learning how to write, but not just learning how to write, also learning how to plot a book. Because one of the biggest issues I felt like I had looking back was that I didn't really understand how to plot a book. My writing was really pretty and I got a lot of feedback saying that. So my first two books got, I think, a total of one request from an agent combined. But my third book, I had learned a lot. I switched genres into a genre that was a little more popular and marketable at the time. And it got, I think, 15 requests, but did not give me an agent. I see a lot of writers try to just rewrite and keep submitting. And sometimes the right thing to do is to write the next book and query the next book. And that's what I did. How did you do it, though? Clearly, you learned how to write better queries. Is it just time, practice, repetition, magic? Time and practice and reading other books. If you want to write thrillers, you need to be reading the thrillers that are being published right now and figuring out what the genre norms are and the tropes and the writing styles and what's popular and what's out of style or maybe what's coming into style. I wouldn't say you don't want to like write to the market, but you need to be aware of the market so you have a better idea of what you're doing. My first two books were contemporary fantasy, and I love reading those books. I think it's a great genre, but my imagination is not one that works in such a way that I was going to come up with anything new in that genre. It was also a time when I was querying them that it was really hard to sell contemporary fantasy from what I was hearing from agents and authors. So moving into more of a suspense and thriller genre, I found that's what I really liked reading. It came pretty naturally to me. I think my voice works really well for it. I love writing the kind of dark and mysterious stuff. Mom's Writer Club, can our listeners join? I will talk more about Mom's Writers Club. So Mom's Writers Club is a group of moms who are also writers for the most part. Anybody is welcome as long as you are a kind and decent human being. And we meet every other Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central and we meet on Twitter and we just talk about writing. And sometimes we talk about being moms as well, but sometimes as moms, we're a little bit tired of talking about mom stuff. So we tend to focus more on the writing stuff. We have created a wonderful community and those are me repeating other people's words, not tooting my own horn here, but people have found critique partners, friends there. Some of my best friends now are people I met through Moms Writers Club. So again, we talk every other Wednesday night. We also have a YouTube channel that you can find on my website. And we talk about all things being a mom and being a writer. But overall, it's just a great community. If you are feeling alienated, like you don't know how to break into the writing community, it is a great place to start. And we would welcome you with open arms. There's no official sign up. If you are a mom and a writer or just a kind, nice person who wants to be a member, consider yourself in and you are always welcome to show up for one of our chats. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Okay. Anything else you want to talk about? either of you, anything that you've learned along the way, anything you wish more writers knew? I would say don't give up. So many people give up after 10 queries or 50 queries or one book or three books, and you just have to keep going. I don't remember which agent posted this on Instagram a while ago, but somebody posted 
that like the people who are going to make it are the people who persevere and just keep going and don't stop. And that is so true. And I've been like really working on writing for about three years now. And I've made a lot of friends and I've seen a lot of people stop writing. And I suspect at some point in their life, they will pick it back up again. Life gets busy. But the the best advice I can give is to just keep working at it because you, you will get there, but you can't stop. Like you have to get better at it. You have to learn more about it. You have to figure yourself out as a writer more. But that is the key, I would say. I'll second that. So from an agent's perspective, we see a lot of queries. We see a lot of projects. And something that Jessica said earlier was, Sometimes there are people that continuously work on the same book for like years, whether it's rewriting or retweaking. And sometimes it is better to just start something new. And that means maybe down the line, you can come back to your first one. But I get a lot of queries of the someone that I've passed on that has come back. I'm like, well, I've edited it. I get that frequently and I understand it. I understand why you're, you lived in this world. You spent the time. No one wants a wasted book, but I do think moving forward instead of staying stagnant is great, especially because times change. Jessa, you mentioned that contemporary fantasy a couple of years ago was not a big thing. Now it's really becoming a big thing. So it's like trends change. What people are looking for is changing. Like some vampires is coming back. Witches are coming back. Just keep moving forward. And I know that's hard to hear, but I think that that would be my advice. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been really fun. Kimberly, are you currently open for queries? I am. I'm a little behind, but I am open for queries. Yes. All the stuff is on our website on how to query. But yeah, always looking for like the next new thing. I love debut authors. I know some debut authors think that agents are weary of... I love debut authors. I think it's fantastic. I can't wait for the next debut. Although I will say I'm picky, but I'm always very excited for new voices, new ideas, new takes on things. And where can we find you both online? You can find me at jessicapayne.net or on Twitter at author Jess Payne. As I mentioned, I am horrible at social media. The best thing is probably my website. So it's browerliterary.com. I am on Twitter, but I rarely go on it, but it's at Kimberly Brower. Yay. Thank you both so much. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to Academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages Podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.